This is the, this is the opportunity. Um, I'm half joking. But, you know, nothing really gets a party going at Christmas. You're with your family. Bring up religion or politics. Probably all had a fun conversation around that. So I figured I would bring both together this Sunday. So I encourage you again, when Marlo comes back next week, just go up to him and say, you know, Jeff talked a lot about Donald Trump on Sunday, and we'll see, see his response. Just say that and see, without any context, what his face looks like. Take a quick picture and send it to me. I'd really appreciate that. Um, but I am. I want to talk a little bit about politics. And, and listen, I really, I want to precursor it with this. I'm not coming up here to tell you who to vote for or, or what side, left, right, whatever is right. Um, but the fact is, as Christians, as, as people who subscribe to a Jesus-based life, we still have to navigate the world around us. Uh, we don't get to just pretend that stuff isn't happening. And, and part of our Christian worldview does influence how we navigate a political world, spiritual beings in a political world. And uh, like I said, I think it's really wrong, and I haven't seen a lot of it, but I, for me, fundamentally, I, I would have an issue with coming up here and saying, you should vote for this party, or God says you sh could, should vote for this party, because everyone has their own different, um, you know, what they, views they subscribe to, and, and there are re ways you could look at the Bible and, and uh, like, take elements, and it becomes this dividing factor, and for me, that's not my place. But that's not what I'm doing here today. Uh, I, I want to take a look at some very real issues and, and talk about what the Bible says is our Christian response to that. So please don't be too apprehensive as I start. Um, nothing brings people together like tragedy or times of fear or political unrest. And what do I mean by that? Think back to any time post wartime tragedy or, or any type of war, really, and think of, of what the society and the culture was at that time. Uh, if you look back uh, through, through history at, like, post-World War II, there's really not many people that were at each other's throats politically or just in a culture. There's something about being brought to the point or the brink of annihilation and having to rally together and the fear and the, op the, the chance that things could go really, really bad and that there's somebody on the other side of conflict that really wants you either dead or to take over you as a, as a country or culture that brought people together. Look at World, World War II. Uh, in a time when women's rights weren't quite at the same level they are today, uh, and a lot, most men were off at war, who men would normally be working in factories and stuff like that, women stepped up and they started to, like, to work in the factories and really were the backbone of what, uh, depending on, on what source you get, really helped to win the war, um, at least for North American countries. Uh, it, was a, it became this unifying thing. And if you look post-war, there was a rally around, you know, we, we survived this. The culture, there's a lot, the differences didn't matter as much. Look at uh, the unifying, and, and there's good and bad with these times. I'm not saying it was a utopian era. But when you look at the rallying point of, and I wasn't around for this, but uh, the Cold War. And when I, I've been really into, uh, into war history lately. And seeing some of the things that, like, maybe some of you guys grew up during that time. I don't know. I, I, I was born in 89. So literally, for me, the, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union has been my whole cognizant life. I've never been aware of a time where that existed. But that Cold War back and forth, like, literally kids in school being trained to duck under their desk because an A-bomb is coming. I don't, not a nuclear scientist, 
But in my understanding of a nuclear bomb, I don't know how helpful a wooden desk is going to be in that process. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that people were foolish in the 60s, but I just, like, there had even a piece, I think tinfoil would have helped you a little bit better than even a wooden desk. But that was a really scary time. Like, think about how scary that is. If your kids today were practicing for A-bomb attacks, like, how far we've come from that, yet, like, that's, we, we kind of forget. That's terrifying. That's crazy. And no wonder people were, were so unified in their response to that. Now, I know that the whole communism versus, you know, capitalism, whatever, conversation started to get really messy if you look at Vietnam War and stuff like that. But what I'm trying to communicate is that when they were unified by, by these tumultuous times, the culture was quite unified. And I would say that today, we don't necessarily have a very unified culture. It seems more than ever, and I think that a lot of this is brought on by social media, Twitter, whatever, Facebook. Imagine that tension because of Facebook. We've probably seen that within our families. Um, the exchange of different ideas, people who have crazy out there ideas, being able to spread them, or even people who just have different ideas than you, being able to share them quite confidently in a, in a public forum, back and forth, people seem to be at each other's throats more than ever. It doesn't take very long for us to look uh, anywhere online or in the news to see that there is extreme tension in the way that the world exists today. I'll give you some examples. I look on the news in the last year and there's crazy things happening back and forth where people are, are mad. Look at, look at what happened in Charlottesville, I believe that's how you say it, Charlottesville last year where there was, uh, I believe it was a year and a half ago, where you would see people with Nazi symbols going around and marching and, and these uh, white nationalists and, and marching, chanting, Jews will not replace us. For me growing up post-World War II and being fully aware of that you know Hitler and the Nazis weren't really great, I never thought that there would be this happening in the world around us either. Now this again, these aren't necessarily things that hit us in a religious worldview, but uh, the tension back and forth, look this week, between, on pipelines, and I'm not here to tell you who you should vote for or what's right or whether environmentalists have the right idea or whether it's a, the economic approach is better. What I'm trying to say is that look at the tension that that's creating in the world around us, back and forth. There's probably people in this room who, would, uh, who, who are pro-pipeline and some who aren't. There's probably some people who, if they really shared their views, would be not agreeing and maybe get a little bit agitated by that conversation. So what we're going to do is, if you're pro-pipeline, I want you to stand on that wall. And if you're not, <laughs> it's a very, very bad thing to do. Let's not do that. But honestly, think about the tension that would create. If, if that, there is so much anger around a big issue, but an issue nonetheless. There's so much back and forth. We'll go to the big one. Again, not necessarily a religious issue, but let's look at, at the way it creates tension. I only have to say the word Trump, and some of you guys have major connotations that come with that. And if one person shares their opinion on it and it's different than the other, that can create Massive tension. Look at the news. If you watch any news outlet, you're going back and forth. You go on Facebook. There's all these, these different things that come up with that. There's massive disagreement. There's massive fighting. It creates just dissension. I'll give an example that actually impacts us here. This is some of the stuff that I want to talk about today. Uh, just in the last year, we found out that uh, 
the current government uh, said that we have to agree as an organization, as a church, with their political party's stance on uh, reproductive rights and, and stuff like that. Had to sign off on that or else we wouldn't be eligible for the same uh, student grants that we've been getting every summer to kind of help with mega sports camp that happened this last week. And we just weren't prepared morally, fundamentally to lie, right? Say that we, were, that we agree with something we don't. Um, so we had to forego those rights. So how do we respond to that? That's a, tough, that's a tough conversation. But that can start, there's a lot of tension in the news on that as well. Uh, how do we look at the world around us in Beaumont and, and, and Canada and this growing conversation about LGBTQ? And as a church, how, how do we balance that scenario, those conversations, be loving to those people and while still maybe having some disagreements? But those are conversations that become very aggressive very quickly very scary very quickly and are very, very, very scary shores, like rocky roads to navigate. It's like driving on a dirt road in Saskatchewan. How do I do this without hitting the ditch? I went to Saskatchewan last week for the first time. Most terrifying roads I've ever been on. It's just every, every, there's not even roads, there's dirt. It's incredible. Anyone from Saskatchewan here? Good, you made it here. I'm very, very happy to hear that you made it all the way here. Um, in a divided world, how do we respond as Christians? In a world that has so much anger and disagreement and is so divided, how do I respond as somebody who says, I believe in Jesus Christ and I subscribe to a Jesus-based life? Recognizing that there are secondary elements and not every political item is going to always fall under one black and white biblical-based concept. That there is wiggle room in there. How do we find ways to love each other and to love the world around us when we disagree fundamentally with some of the things that happen there? How do we stand up for ourselves and our beliefs? How do we stand up for who we are while still loving people the way that Jesus did? And I know that we would all agree with what I just said there, but when somebody is telling you something that you believe to be fundamentally untrue and offensive, it's pretty hard not to want to fight them. And I'm just saying physically, although maybe that's where you're at, depends what they're talking about, but on Facebook, over email, whatever it is at work, when no one's around talking about to other people about that person's opinion, to become condescending, to become aggressive, to respond with something outside of the love that Jesus would show to them. It's not easy. It's really hard. I struggle with that. So what do we do? How do we respond? Listen, the Bible has tons of answers. It has Really, if you look hard enough and if you look through, through it, you're going to find all the answers for life in this book. Guys, God wrote a book. The God who created the world, who created the sun, who created... Anytime you go for a drive through Jasper and you see all these mountains, you're like, wow, look at this, look at this incredible stuff. Like, look what God made. Look at the stars. Look at the, look at the universe. Think about the, the expanses of the universe and everything God made. The guy that made all of that, he wrote a book. And I don't read that book enough. And this is kind of a little sidebar, but like I don't read that book enough, and I think that most people probably would agree with that. So I, he wrote a book full of wisdom and, and all the answers to all of life's problems. I'm not saying you're just going to oh, flip it open and find the exact thing, but if you navigate through it, you're going to find the answers to life's problems and, and the greatest wisdom ever, because God wrote a book. And we should be reading that. And here's the thing about some people, I said this last time I was up here, um, kind of like, well, how could God have written the book, right? Because obviously, clearly, he didn't stand there up in heaven with a pen and write this book and then send it off to, to Amazon. 
Um, but the best way I've heard it explained is that God is like an architect of a, of a cathedral or a large building. He's the, he's the one that wrote up the plans. He wrote, he designed every piece that goes into every position. And then he has people build that cathedral uh, with their hands. Just because other people were doing the construction, it doesn't mean that the architect didn't create or design it or that that design um, is, has wavered in any way. God's plan for this book, it's God's words, Men wrote it down, but if you really believe that, the, that God created this universe and all this nature and all these amazing things, but he's incapable of coordinating over a couple thousand years, you know, a book being written down in, in the right way, then you're not really on the same trajectory with the same God in that conversation. But I tell you this, when I look at the world we're talking about, when I look at the struggles that I have with how do we navigate through this, well, often I end up complaining but we have the Bible right in front of us. And I believe that the Bible has the answers to life's problems and life's questions. They're in there and we just have to seek them out. And that's where I want to start today. Who's ever heard here of the story of David and Goliath? Maybe you've never been to church before. Yeah, hands up, sure. Kids, you've probably all heard it, right? This one was my favorite because like, I was always bigger than all the other kids, so I really identified with Goliath. Um, and I thought that he was, always pictured him to be huge, right? And we'll get to that in a second. But if you've never heard of David and Goliath, if you've never been to church before, here's a little recap for you. Um, it's honestly, even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard it before in some sort of context of like underdog story. Uh, if the Oilers are playing last year, almost any team in the league, they were the David to the Goliath. Anytime that there's some story of like in, in college sports where there's some school that has huge funding and they always win the championship and there's some team that, that is supposed to get dominated, it's the David versus Goliath story. If the underdog ever comes out on top, it's usually, that's the metaphor that's used. Uh, and it's a story in the Bible. It's in, uh, it's in 1 Samuel. And uh, 1 Samuel 17 is kind of where we will start out. And I, I want to kind of paraphrase it here for you and help you to to kind of grasp the feelings here. Because for us in the world today, we kind of are going to identify with David. And here's what, here's what it is. I want you to picture with me. You're David. You're like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. You're like five foot four. Actually, some of you might not be that tall. Let's say five feet tall, generally. You're, you're pretty small. And you work in the fields. You're, uh, you're a small guy. You've kind of always been the runt of the litter. You're, you're good. You're a hard worker. But the fact is your whole life, you've kind of been smaller than everybody else. No one's really taking you seriously. You're the youngest. You're kind of like you're thrown off to the side. A good example of this is all your brothers. You have a bunch of older brothers. And they're all like standout athletes. Like they're six foot five. They've got flowing blonde hair, blue eyes, big traps, big biceps, huge chest. They can squat 700 pounds. They're athletes. They're amazing. They look like they're on the cover of some romance novel. Like they are, they are everything that you're like, yeah, that's what I want to be as a guy. You are not. In fact, you are so much weaker than them and so much seen as kind of the, the pipsqueak of the group that while your nation, your country of Israel, you're, you're, you're from the uh, Jewish nation, is out at war with the Philistines at this time, you got left behind to take care of the sheep. Well, all your brothers are off fighting and being manly together. There's fight and war. You got left behind because you're not masculine, you're not tough. David's sitting there, you're, you're in the field, and one day your dad comes up to you and says, David, like, you know what? Um, I know you can't really fight at war, but I got a job for you. 
your brothers, they have a high like amount of protein they need in their lives. So here's some, some supplies. So I, let's go bring them these booster juices. Go off to war. Give them some booster juices. This is paraphrased, by the way. It's not in the Bible. There's no booster juices thousands of years ago. He's like, you take these booster juices. You better hurry because if like 20 minutes, they're going to melt. Um, but head off and bring these supplies to your brothers. So you go off. You start walking off and you head off to war. And you see your brothers coming up over the horizon. And they're excited because who doesn't love booster juice? Um, and they're, they're hanging out, and, and, and you're just like, okay, there's some tension here. You don't know quite what the scenario is, but, but you can see that everybody's looking a little bit scared. You can't figure out why. It's like these guys have never been scared before. They're like, they're, they're jacked. Like, who, why would they be scared? Like, I understand it's war, but they should easily win because the thing about Israel is that Israel was God's chosen people. Israel is God's chosen people. It was a nation that God chose and said, you will be my people. He, I will bless you. Uh, you you'll, be, you'll be under my protection. You'll always have me on your side. All these other nations had rejected God. And, and because of that, can you imagine if you were a kid and there was one kid who, even if you had decided it was by your own decision in most cases, but he's like, I'm God's chosen person. There might be some tension there. All these other nations, they really wanted to hurt Israel because they felt like Israel thought they were better than them. There's other obvious uh, political reasons that they, they wanted to do it. There was a lot of war back then, but there was a lot of tension. And actually through history, if we look, there's tons of cases where if you look from biblical times all the way through to World War II, where the Jewish people have been absolutely, they've been multiple groups over thousands of years who have tried to eradicate them or, or harm them or enslave them. Look at the story of Moses with Egypt, uh, taking them into slavery for, for an extremely extended period of time. They've gone through the ringer, and this was no exception. There's this Philistine army that wants to destroy them, eradicate them, wipe them off the face of the earth. They want the, Jew, the Jewish people to be gone. So David shows up, and he's like, why are you guys scared? What's going on? No, we're God's people. You guys are in pretty good shape. What's going on? And he's, they look around, and just as this happens, just as he walks up, out from the other side comes Goliath, the Philistine warrior. And like, this guy, there's, there's a lot of different opinions on how big Goliath would have been. Like, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot five. I'm 220 pounds or so. But this guy was at least double, well, close to double my height. Some people say he'd be over 12 feet tall. Some people say maybe nine. There's a little bit of a differentiating view on that. I don't really care if you're nine feet tall or if you're 12 feet tall, you're out of my weight class, and I'm not going to fight you. Like, we're talking about, have, have you guys ever seen a grizzly bear before? These things are monsters. This is like a man bear. Goliath was huge, and here's the scariest part. He was from a scary named town, too. They specifically in the Bible uh, point out that he's from a town called Gath. It's like, where do you think a big bad dude is going to be from? Probably Gath or North Battleford. <laughs> Y'all been to North Battleford? I was just right by it when we were on our young adult retreat in Saskatchewan. I just, I can't stand North Battleford. It's the worst. Goliath was not from North Battleford, um, but he'd be even scarier if he was. But he's from Gath. It sounds like the name of a metal band. 
Like, it's, it's, it sounds like I'd be scared of that even too. Like, what a scary guy. And he wasn't just big, but he was like trained his whole life to be a killer. This guy was designed from birth to murder people. He's like, looks like The Rock meets Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, not current Schwarzenegger, but looks like a bodybuilder. He's covered in armor. He's got amazing weapons. He's trained in them, and he's two times the height of me and probably three times as wide pure muscle. That's not a guy that I want to fight. So I can kind of identify with David's brothers and the rest of them by being nervous and apprehensive about this idea. And as David walks up, he sees Goliath come out as he's been doing every single morning and comes out and he calls out and says, there's no need for all of us to fight each other because obviously we'll win. So what we need to do is you're going to send out your greatest warrior to fight me, Goliath from Gath, and we'll fight. And whoever wins, that army wins. So when I logically kill you because I'm a monster, a human grizzly bear, we'll take your nation, we'll take your families, we'll do horrible things to them, and we'll eradicate the Jewish nation of Israel from the world. No longer will exist. You guys think you're the chosen people of God? Yeah, good luck. I'm going to kill all of you. And they believed him because he really backed it up physically. He was scary. He was terrifying. And nobody would go out. And little did David know, little do you know, as you arrive, this has been happening for days and days and days and days. And this tension, this apprehension, this fear has been going on over and over again. They are so scared. They know they're going to die. They know that if somebody doesn't go, eventually they're just going to take the camp, that they're going to kill them. He knows that's coming, but somebody's got to fight them. But nobody is brave enough to stand up. And David's like, you know what? What are you guys doing? Obviously, God's on our side. We're the chosen people of God. He's helped us so many times before. Why are we not trying to fight this guy? Why do you have no faith? And I always think when I read this and I hear about this, that David probably was so brave, but you got to think he probably was scared at the same time. He knew the promises God had given him, but he was still apprehensive. There was this giant in front of him, and there was no way that logically he should beat them. Everybody says, there's no chance. We're not going to do it. We'll die. He'll kill all of us. And finally, after kind of going through the process and the scenarios, knowing there's no logical way he could beat them, this guy is at least seven feet taller than him and probably has a couple hundred pounds on him, he says, I'll do it. Everyone kind of looks at him just as they always would have. They look at you, they say, you're too small. There's no logical way that you, David, can beat this guy, this monster. There's no way you could beat any of us in a battle, hand-to-hand combat, let alone the guy that we're all scared of. So what are you going to do? He says, well, if no one else is going to go, I'm going to do it. So after a while, they realized that no one else had, had the guts to stand up and do it. And that's where they started, okay, well, you know, you're our only option so we see in 1 Samuel 15, 38, it says, Saul, who was the king at the time, dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Because he was not used to them, David was, faced, um, was, was stuck. He couldn't walk. He couldn't, because he's not used to this stuff and because it was too big, this was a problem. And he's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to wear this armor because it's not going to fit me. It's not going to work. So here we have David faced with two options. Faced with two options. There's two logical options in this moment. You're this little guy. You're way too small for this fight. There's no chance you're going to win. You're going to die, probably. By all logic, you are going to die, and you're going to be 
murdered by in front of all of your family, and your last breath is going to be knowing that you are the reason that God's chosen people are going to be eradicated from the face of the earth because you lost in front of your whole nation. That's a lot of pressure. And that, in my mind, if I'm in that scenario, my, I'm feeling this, this fear of, okay, there's only really two things to do. Either I can run into battle with this armor that doesn't fit, and I can go in with a sword and hope that I get lucky. And like, I don't know, maybe for me as Jeff, my logic would be to go and kick him in the groin and run away or something. But like, I don't see what the logical way to win this fight is. And then he's faced with another option, and that's to run away and hide. Be scared, panic, cower. It's really what comes down to, if you've read anything on psychology and the human psychology, it's fight or flight. It's the response that we have when faced with, with uh, a lot of tension or, or being scared is either you go in and you fight or you run away and you hide. Both of those don't end well. Either he's going to run in and get killed or he's going to go and hide and run home back to his farm and hide in the sheep until the Philistines come and take his farm and kill him in it as well. There's no way out. He's trapped. It's daunting. What are we going to do? And I always think when I hear the story that David, you know, so brave and so, even though he was little, like he always had his chest out, like he was always so confident. But I, the more I read through it, the more I look at it, and I encourage you to read through this whole story in First uh, Samuel 17. He's probably really scared. Even though he knew God was telling him to do something, he's probably really scared. He's probably really apprehensive. He would have been really fearful of what could happen. He knew what was happening. He wasn't just blindly running into this situation. He was aware of the consequences. I guarantee he was. But here's the thing. He doesn't take the two logical options. What he does is he listens and God directs him by his Holy Spirit to go to a stream. And like this is, think about how illogical this is. To go to a stream, not even a river, but like a little creek, and takes out five smooth stones. Takes them out, walks out that morning on the battlefield. Goliath comes out and he's swearing at him. Goliath looks and and says like, who's going to come out and fight me? And then the smallest guy comes out. And Goliath is fundamentally offended. He's been waiting for this great battle. He's ready to go. It's like if I was looking to have a, like a MMA fighting match and you brought out a five-year-old. Like, what's going on? And he even says, the words he uses, am I not Philistine enough for you? Am I not man enough for you that you can't send me out a grown man to fight me? He's swearing at David and he's telling David all these things about his God and cursing the name of God, the, the God of Israel, our God. David pulls out a stone, puts it in his sling, basically like a slingshot, whips it up, throws it. Stone sails over top, probably with not overly too much force. Sails over top, perfectly placed, hits the giant in the forehead. I can imagine you look across and you see the stone sink into his head. Goliath starts to waver a little bit. The monster's going back and forth and eventually smashes to the ground. David runs up, this is a little morbid, but he takes up the giant sword, cuts off Goliath's head. I just picture this scene of this little, little guy. Like I'm thinking like five feet tall, 13, 14 years old. He just killed a man bear, holds up his head and holds it to the Philistines. He's like, what's up? You want some of this? That's basically what he does, and they run. And then the, the Israel, Israel's army is like pumped up. They're like, yeah, if he can do that, imagine what we could do. And they start running off and they take the, the Philistine army. They take the battle and they win and Israel is saved from eradication. 
David was faced with two options. And he ended up taking the third. And if you read any further into this story, you learn that David went on to do amazing things. He went on to become the king of Israel, defined as a man after God's own heart. He, he wrote a good chunk of the Bible. He's known as like one of the most important influential people in biblical history and in the history of the world today because of it. He had two options, to fight or to flee. He could take the armor that didn't fit him or he could cower and hide. And when we're faced today with a culture that to me, honestly, is daunting enough that I would consider it a giant in my life, a Goliath to my David, I think we're faced often with the same two options. And unfortunately, from what I've viewed, not that everyone takes the wrong route, we often take the two options. We can put on the armor, we can get aggressive, we can get mad, we can get offended, we can go on our social media, we can go into our workplaces, we can go into um, the, the, or whatever, any conversation, aggressive and on guard and angry and trying to preserve our rights and get mad and fight. But how well does that go? That's the wrong armor. That doesn't win anything. It might make you feel good while you're going in, but you're still fighting Goliath. And it doesn't matter how aggressive you are and how much armor you put on and how big your sword is or, or whatever. He's going to beat you. Might take a little longer, but you're not going to win. And then on the opposite side of that, you're faced with the other option, option B. And we can go and hide and go back like David could have gone back to his farm and be with the sheep and cowered and hid and said, you know what, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not going to fight. Like, I don't want to deal with this. It's fine. And maybe that's us when we look at culture. It's like, just leave us alone. Let's just pretend it's not happening. Let's come to church on Sunday. Please don't take our tax-deductible receipt ability away, government. Please don't, don't take this in away. Don't, don't, don't fight. We don't want anything to do with that. Maybe if we don't say anything, maybe if we hide in our basements, they won't notice and we'll just be able to keep happening as it is. It's, gonna, it's not going to work that way. Eventually, Goliath would have won. Eventually, the Philistines would have come and found David. Eventually, we have to come face to face with a culture that is not inherently Christian. For some of you guys, we've talked about this before in past months. For some of the people here, maybe uh, if you're from the boomer generation, it was a Christian culture to an extent. Christianity and the church really influenced culture. At this point now, we're in what they call a post-Christian culture. The culture is not greatly influenced. Not that it can't be more, but it's a post-Christian culture. It's coming. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflicting views and, and, and ideologies between what we believe and what, 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 uh, what different parts of culture are going to believe. And that's okay, but we need to know what to do. We can't just hide from it. Otherwise, it's, we're going to come face to face with it later, and it's just going to have more power. So, yeah, Jeff, that's great. Thanks for basically telling me that there's no way out, right? There's always hope because we have Scripture, because we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. That's the most important thing. God is guiding us, and if we would just sometimes be quiet and listen before we act and before we speak, we could go and, and actually make impact in our community what I'm trying to say is that there is the third option. It's not the logical one. It's not the fight or flight initial, what comes to mind. It's the going to the stream and finding stones. Who would have ever thought that? It's like, hey, I want you to fight this giant. What do you need? Well, first of all, I need three or five smooth stones. Like, that's it's not logical. 
There's no way that would have been your first, your first idea. I would have come up with some conniving plan on how to trick him or something like that. Not smooth stone. But that was the only way that David could beat that giant. And what I'm trying to tell you is that if we would listen to God, he's going to give us as a church, as a people, as followers of him, ways that we can navigate through this rocky culture, through negativity, through, through the, the ways that we don't see a way out to, to both stand up for what we believe, but to also love people. Where there's no way out, he will give us that option that we didn't think of on our own. But here's what we gotta do. We gotta listen. We have to be reading our Bible. We need to be praying and not just praying out loud, we need to take the time to actually, when we say, hey God, please help me with this scenario, give me the words, give me what I need to do here, we need to say that and then be quiet and listen. Because I know that when I can pray sometimes, I just keep talking. And they say, you know, I'm just complaining to God. And I never hear him because I don't listen to him. I need to listen, I need to take a moment. Need to be reading scripture, need to be finding the examples of how other people navigated through different scenarios that can be applied to this. We can't always run, we can't always hide, we can't always be aggressive and go on our Facebook and fight and start freaking out and sharing opinions. And I hope that we're never doing that. Please, as a church, let's never do that. Just sharing every single, like, I, honestly, if you want to share different things that are important, I understand that. But going on there and, and posting like, oh, look at these left-wing people are so stupid. Or, you know, here's the thing that makes right-wing people look really stupid. And look how dumb these people are. That doesn't share Jesus' love. That doesn't unify. That divides. And you can have those opinions. And even, you might even be right. It doesn't mean that we have to prove it in a forum that's going to create more division. It's going to make us look like we're more aggressive. That makes us not like Christ at all. So what are we going to do? It's really simple. To navigate through this world, I don't have a, a B, C, D, here's the steps of how we're gonna work through uh, a world that doesn't agree with us in a lot of ways. But I do have this. Listen to God, he'll guide you. He's gonna give you those obscure ways to get not out of a situation, but to thrive in a situation. But here's a big one, this is what I struggle with a lot. We need to stop complaining. We need to stop complaining start loving people, and start acting. I know I like to get, you know, with my friends, or my go-to is to phone my dad, because he, you've probably seen him on Beaumont Talks. He loves to complain. He's just, that's his favorite thing. So I can always go to him if I have something to complain about. Go to my dad, and uh, I can phone him and talk about it. But what I need to start doing is, instead of just complaining about it and talking about it, I need to go to God and bring my concerns to him. And a line I heard a while back that just, it stands so true is, we need, if we prayed about things as much as we complained about them, or even half as much as we complained about them, it might turn out a lot better. But I'm kind of past the times of being Christians that are always whining and complaining about stuff. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go and, and, uh, and do your like uh, sign pieces, what's it called, a piece of paper. Where, where we like, uh, oh, I can't think of what it's called. Yeah, so go on there and, and, and like sign a petition. That's fine. Use your voice. It's a democracy. We should do that. We should, we should share our voices. Don't be quiet, but also do your job. But we should also be doing more and more with God, going to God with our concerns, going to God and saying, God, I don't know how to walk through this. No more complaining and whining on Facebook. Spend some time praying about it. Love people. 
It's time to stop complaining and seeing the world as all against us, even when it is. It's time to, to pull up our pants, take our lunchbox, and go to work. It's time to go to work and change the world. We can't do it on our own. There's no way. There's no way that we're going to be able to do this logically. There's no way that we're going to be able to, I can draw you up battle plans or design something for you to face the culture that's in front of you. But God has the way. God knows the route that it's going to take. God's the only one who can tell you, and God's going to help you. We're never alone, and if you look at the world around us and the culture around us as a giant in front of you that there's no chance that you're going to be able to take down, the good news is there's hope. And there's hope because God is with you and the Holy Spirit guides you. But it's our job to listen and to put ourselves into situations where we will be able to hear him. So this week, here's my challenge to you. When you think of something that's hopeless, and whether that's culturally or maybe it's a family situation, or maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a, a health situation, whatever it is, spend some time with God in quiet. Ask him for, for, for a scenario. Help him for, ask him for a way out. Ask him what to do. And then just listen. Read your Bible. Not just this week, daily do this. God is going to give us the right way to get out of that giant that's in front of us, to take down the, the insurmountable wall. There's hope because we have Jesus in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you give us hope. Thank you that you uh, give us ways out where we should have none. Logically, there's no way out. There's no way that we can... We can uh, topple this giant in front of us. We look at our culture, God, and God, I pray that you would give us all not a, a daunting anger or look at the world around us as this enemy that's against us, but God, as an opportunity to change it, an opportunity to leave it better than when we found it, God. For, even though I don't know how that's going to work, God, I pray that you and your Holy Spirit would guide us uh, to step by step make an influence in our world around us, God. We pray that Eaglemont Church wouldn't just be a church that complains about what's happening around us, but we would do something about it and that you would guide us step by step in what that looks like. God, I pray that you would challenge us to, to be more engaged with you. Remind us, God, that as we work hard at, at reading our Bible more, at uh, engaging in prayer and, and listening, that Holy Spirit, you would give us the words to speak uh, when people are against us, when people don't want to agree with us, or when people think that we're frankly evil by what we believe. God, I pray that we wouldn't, as a church, be divided by secondary issues of politics or policies or pipelines or whatever it is, but God, we would be unified together under the cause of you and of Christ and the cross that unifies us and we would go out together under that banner instead of being defined and described by what we believe on these other issues. Unify us as a church. Unify us with our culture as much as we can. And God, I pray that we would stand up for what is right, but that Jesus, you would show us how to love the world just like you did. So we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. Amen. I believe in you guys. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, have a great week. <laughs>